Well, my name is Alvin. I'm lead pastor here at Nashville Life, and uh, you're catching me. This is my uh, third month, so I'm new, but uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, I'm still all right at the job today. Uh, I am honored to have you guys with me. Uh, with us here at Nashville Live today is, of course, an incredible day. Uh, Jesus is alive. And um, before, we, before we get into the message, I would like for us to, to declare this word um, that we do before the message, just to pray that, that God allows something amazing to happen in our hearts. So repeat this after me. The word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. Okay, so Jesus is alive, and that's, that's why we celebrate, but... Not only is he alive, but he was once dead. Life is worthy of being celebrated, but life is particularly special when you once were dead and now you're alive. The reason why we're here today is because Jesus is not just alive, but he died. And I think it's more special and more miraculous when you're alive after you've once been dead. Uh, my uncle, uh, my mom's, one of my mom's brothers, died on the operation table years ago. He was pronounced dead, and he was miraculously brought back to life by the power of God. And his life was always precious. However, it was when he died and was alive again that got him on every news channel, that got him on the Oprah show, that got him on these things. Because whenever something is alive that was once dead, that's what really calls for a celebration. So not only is Jesus alive, but we are celebrating that he's alive after being dead. And that's the beauty of the resurrection. It's, it's, it's something extremely special, and that's why we're here today. We are celebrating a risen Savior, someone who was dead for three days and came back to life, and he's still alive today, and that's what's so cool. There's many people who have been raised from the dead over the years. For instance, my uncle and several others, Lazarus in the Bible. You, there's tons of stories of, of the resurrection at the same time. All of those people that raised from the dead, they eventually died one day. And what makes Jesus so special is when he was raised to life, he stayed alive. He has never died again. He is still alive today. And that's what separates him from any other human being. That's why we worship. That's why we follow him. That's why he's our Lord, because he is the only one who has stayed alive. And he's alive today. And I believe he's going to touch a lot of our hearts. Today, I am talking, the title of the message is called Life Actually. Life Actually. And the reason why we're calling it Life Actually is because the language Human language is very interesting, and depending on culture, the, the meaning of words tend to shift, uh, and we have words that we use in one way that's not necessarily what it actually means. Uh, for instance, the word starving. We, in our day, starving means you haven't eaten since lunch. Starving means it's been a few hours, but starving actually means you're malnourished to a nearly fatal degree. So there's one thing to be starving, and there's nothing to be 
actually starving. Same with dying. For in our language, in our culture, dying could mean that something is extremely funny. Think about it. We use these words meaning something totally different than what it actually means. Life is the same way. And honestly, what makes it even more confusing in our particular generation is it used to be a time where you would specify the difference of the meaning by saying, I'm literally starving. But in our day and age, we actually tag on literally when we don't literally mean it. So language is, is very confusing these days. A lot of words that we use aren't what we actually mean. And the reason why we're calling life actually is because there are things that we are calling life that isn't life actually, that isn't life literally. Life actually in scripture is translated as Zoe, which is life spiritually. There is an original quality and state of life that was given to mankind. This is what was given to us actually. At the same time, when sin entered to the world, we, we, we lost life, actually. The first person that actually lost life was not a human. It was actually an angel. And he's now known, he has several names, but one is Satan. One is the devil. One is the adversary. Uh, and this is someone who once had life with God. But because he rebelled against God, he was cut off. He was cut off from, from life actually. At the same time, he still continued functioning. So Satan was the first person who actually experienced being able to function, being able to still do things even though he's not actually in life with God. And the thing about Satan is misery loves company. So Satan then went to human beings who had life actually and deceived us to believing that there was another way to live. He basically said life with God isn't necessary. That was his argument. You can still function without life actually. You can still breathe. You can still make money. You can still have a great personality. There is life outside of life actually, outside of life with God. And what happens is human beings, we fell for it. And we took the offer and we then joined him in this, this existence where we are functioning, we are breathing, there's blood running through our veins, we're procreating, we're making money, we're telling jokes, we're getting married, we're doing all these things, but not according to life actually, but according to this sub-level life that's actually death. Dead living is what Satan does, is what he still does today. And what happened is when human beings, Scripture says when Adam and Eve ate of this tree, they converted to this life that was actually death. I don't know if you realize, Scripture says, God says, you will die if you eat this tree. But Satan is the first person that came with the argument of, you're not going to really die. He was the first person that came with the argument that I lived for for years. And that was, I know it's probably best to love God with all my heart, but I'm not really dead. 
I'm still living. I'm getting my education. I'm making music. I'm living life. I have friends. I'm not really dead. Yeah, I know it could be good, but Satan is the one that first brought the argument that it's not necessary to truly love God to live. He's the one that gave us the idea that we could actually live pretty fine without God. This is actually what scripture calls death. Something you should know about Satan, and I'm going to talk about Jesus, I promise, but i got to let us know what we've been saved from in order for us to appreciate salvation. Satan is not an original. Everything he does is a, a cheap imitation, a dead replica of what God already did. So God is the ruler of angels. Satan says, I want to do that. So he becomes the ruler of angels, but his angels are dead. God goes, I want to open uh, the eyes of the blind. Satan goes, well, I want to open eyes too. Guys, I don't know if you realize this, but the scripture says when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, their eyes were opened. But this is not the eye opening that they were originally given. God gives sight, and then Satan comes and says, let me open your eyes. So if I'm already seeing, what are you about to offer me? Which is a counterfeit thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about something that I believe is very uh, relevant today. Because there's a, there is a thing about, there is, there is a such thing as having your eyes open through a counterfeit means. And I got a full house, so I might as well just talk about it. <laughs> I've got a bone to pick with the concept of being woke. And the reason why I want to talk about it, not because I believe that every single thing that that philosophy says is false, but anything that implies that yes, I know Jesus. Yes, my eyes, I can see because of his amazing grace. But now I really know what's going on. If you believe that there's another degree of enlightenment outside of what the spirit of God has provided for you, you might be under the same deception that the enemy used with Adam and Eve. Their eyes were open. But he said, thank you, but let's... let's his eyes, their eyes, they could see. But he convinced them that what they were seeing was not enough. And that God is holding out on what's really going on. And if you really want to know what's going on, come my way. And their eyes were opened. And just so you know, it's not just the wokes. For those of you who are one to amen, I believe that the conspiracy theorists are on the same train just for a different side. It's the same train. It's this idea that, yes, the Bible says this. Yes, Jesus says this. But I know what's really going on. I watched this thing on Facebook, and now I know what's really going on. And there's this whole idea that, that both sides subscribe to this idea that they know the true insight, but it comes from knowledge of society opposed to knowledge from God. And if, in case you're confused, if you ever want to know if you are walking in the sight of God or something that is counterfeit, 
there's, a something, there's something called fruit. Everyone say the word fruit. The beautiful thing about fruit is it keeps us from being confused. Jesus says it's very simple. If something produces fruit that is of a lemon tree, it's not an apple tree. Look at the fruit. And the fruit of both of the philosophies, whether it's conspiracy theorists on the conservative side or the woke on the liberal side, the issue is if the fruit is anger and fear, God didn't open your eyes to that. If the fruit is anger and fear, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, their eyes were open, but the fruit was anger and fear. They were afraid of the very God that loved them, and they started blaming each other. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like 2021? When God opens your eyes, he opens your eyes to the life that's ahead, the hope that's ahead, the faith that's ahead, and yes, when your eyes are open, you do know that sin exists. You do know that the world is broken, but you see it through the lens of faith. You see it through the lens of it's going to be better. It's going to, it's, God's going to work it out. You see it through the lens of his sovereignty. You see it through the lens of, of the ability to turn it all around. So in case you're confused, if your awakening is only making you mad and scared, this is a counterfeit awakening. It's a counterfeit awakening. It's not the actual awakening. When you have life, you see it through the lens of God's power. Because the thing about Adam and Eve is their eyes were open to something really negative. So it's definitely having your eyes open that this world is a dark place. But it costs them having their eyes open towards God. And some of us are so thirsty for having our eyes open to where we're not realizing the very thing that's opening our eyes to the condition of the world is closing our eyes to the goodness of God. And it's a trade-off that you don't realize is happening. Yes, you're more aware of how horrible things and how corrupt the world is and how corrupt people are, but when was the last time you were aware of how good God was? When was the last time you shared the goodness of God in the text thread? When was the last time you shared the goodness of God on the status instead of telling us, man, my eyes are open to how horrible things are. I'm telling you, that does not take a revelation to know that the world needs help. Revelation is when you say God has conquered the world. He's conquered the grave. That's the revelation. If you're angry and afraid, the awakening looks very similar to what Adam and Eve saw and felt when they ate of the tree. These awakenings come by means of knowledge of yourself and of other people. The life, the awakening, the, the light, the vision that comes from God comes specifically and dare I say exclusively from the Holy Spirit. And if you think that's too intense and if you think that's too old school and if you think that's too closed-minded, then you think the Bible is too intense. You think the Bible is too old school. You think the Bible is too whatever else I said. Closed-minded. The Holy Spirit is the only source for life actually. And if you don't believe me, let's go to the scriptures. John chapter 6, verse 32 
Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread. Everyone say true bread. So there's bread, then there's true bread. So even, even during these times, we were using starving literally and starving actually. Basically, by the, Jesus is saying there is a bread that y'all call bread. The bread that comes from wheat and that you put with water and you, you bake it. But then there's bread actually. And it's a difference. And what he's doing is he's bringing a distinction between what we as human beings call things versus what things actually are. So this is happening even back then. This is the Bible days and we were already in this issue with language where things that we were calling things weren't actually what they were. He said, Moses gave bread according to what culture says bread is. Jesus says, I'm giving you bread actually. Let's keep going. Same chapter, verse 33. Jesus says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. He's showing them what bread actually is. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. We want this bread. Verse 45, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is actual bread. Jesus is actual bread. The bread that we call bread is something that fills our stomach temporarily, and then we know how it works. Some of us, like me, within an hour and a half, it's time for something else. And even within that hour and a half, when I'm full in my stomach from bread, I'm still hungry for purpose. I'm still hungry for acceptance. I'm still hungry for relationships. I'm still hungry for security. I'm still hungry for safety. I'm still hungry, hungry for affirmation. Bread at best can fill your stomach temporarily. And he's saying the bread of life can satisfy hunger that, goes, that satisfies what natural bread could never do. He was telling them that there's a hunger that bread does not satisfy. What you call bread. He goes, I'm the actual bread that will cause you to never hunger. And then he adds water to it. So he's let me throw water in. He started getting really bold. Not only will you not hunger, but now he's challenging H2O. Now he's saying you won't be thirsty either. Jesus says that I'm water that can quench what H2O can't. I can satisfy your thirst for rest, your thirst for relief, your thirst for intimacy, your thirst for identity, your thirst for family. A cup of water, I'm sorry, I love water, but water can't do that. Water can't do that. There's what we call water, then there's water actually. Jesus gives life actually. Let's keep on the same chapter. It's a good chapter, 53, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It doesn't seem that Jesus is making an allowance for an alternative or a reduced level or a discount life. He says, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he says, you have no life, 
not just a life that's not as good, not just a life that is not as fulfilling. He says zero. Your life count is zero if you don't eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm going to stop right here and just state the obvious in case this is news for y'all, but Jesus said to do a lot more than love. He said it was first, but we treat Jesus as if it was was one quote, love, and that's all he said. He said love, but he said some other stuff too. And when it comes to following Jesus, you have to follow the whole Jesus. You can't just do, I'll take that part and I'll forget everything else. For those of you who don't read the Bible, read it for yourself. Jesus says a lot more than one word. There's a lot of words we're quoting. Verse, let's, I bet you didn't know he said this. Verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. No one quotes that. Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that, there goes that word again, bread. This is the bread that came down from heaven. He's a good teacher. Next part, not like the bread the fathers ate. So again, he's letting you know that there's two kinds of bread. There's the things that we call bread, and then there's actual bread. He says, not the bread that your fathers ate and died. He's helping us see there is a difference in the language we use and what words actually mean. The bread that the fathers ate, they died. He says, whoever feeds on this bread. So even the word this is indicating that there might be different kinds. He says this bread, whoever eats this bread will live forever. Verse 59, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. He was a good teacher, such a good teacher. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. (laughs) Who can listen to it? So if you're a little bit disturbed at the moment, you're not alone. When Jesus said it himself, the people that heard it were a little bit bothered. They were a little bit uncomfortable. This is a hard saying. I know what I'm saying is a bit difficult. Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he could read the room. Jesus is real good at reading the room. He said to them, do you take offense at this? So the, the vibe in the room made Jesus, without them even saying anything, he said, are y'all offended? <laughs> are y'all offended right now? And this is a valid question. Valid question. The news of life actually to someone who doesn't have it is always at least initially offensive. Always He's talking to people who hadn't eaten his body and drank his blood. And he says, you have no life. So that's basically him indirectly saying, y'all are dead. And getting news that you are dead when you thought you were alive is a little bit offensive at first. Especially because it's so confusing. I mean, these people are, some of these people had families. Some of these people had businesses. It's not like they were just like lying in bed. 
It's very confusing to hear that you're dead when you've already done so much. You can get married without life, actually. You can have adorable children without life, actually. You can be an honorable parent or grandparent without life, actually. You can have a great personality without life, actually. You can be hilarious without life, actually, and have a ton of friends. You can be good with money and not have life, actually. You can be, check this, a good person. You can be a good person and not have life, actually. And this is hard to hear. This is hard to hear. If I'm not alive, then what have I been doing? What is this? And Jesus had the boldness, but the love to let people know that this entire life that you think you've been living has all been death. For someone who has done so much without life actually, to hear that they are dead is offensive. Life actually reveals that what we thought was life is actually death. Even me even saying life actually is like, what are you saying then? What's, what's life then? <laughs> I mean, to talk about bread, true bread, then what is, is there a false bread? What if, what's in my pantry right now then? This is the reaction that comes with hearing that there is a life that you might not have. And this is heavy news for anyone, and it's heavy for me. I've been there. 2009, I moved to Australia. Uh, I was invited to a church. I was not, I was Christian by status and by culture, but there was really nothing happening in my heart, in my lifestyle, in my behavior, in my thoughts. Nothing about my thought life reflected Jesus. I just did me. And I'm not bragging, but I've been told over the years that I have a nice smile. So I, I was meeting the pastors, their husband and wife, and I'm just, I'm a polite, again, you can be polite and not have life actually too. You can have good manners and not have life actually. I was polite. I was raised well. So I meet the pastors of this church, flash my smile, pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Great service. And Diane, the pastor, Diane, well, okay. Thanks, Mom. Uh, she said, you've got this great smile. And this is why I'm literally shaking her hand. She's a bold one. She said, it's like you've got this gray film in front of you. She said, uh, you're, 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 again, you got this great smile. You, you're, again, you, she was bold. And y'all, basically, she was telling me I was dead. I was living, I was functioning, I was presenting myself well. But in the spirit, she could see that she was looking at a dead man with a good smile. So I'm following in my pastor's, first of all, she was right. Very right. That day I, I signed up for this course that they offer, and for nine months I received life actually. And I came home with life actually. I looked the same, my bank account looked the same, my talent was the same, my lack of 
basketball skills was the same. But I had life actually. So I'm going to follow in my pastor's footsteps from Australia. I'm paying it forward to this audience, saying that some of you guys have awesome smiles. Some of you guys are fully functioning. You've got successful businesses. You've got beautiful families. You've got amazing intellect. You're talented, hilarious. But are you alive? Are you alive actually? And the cool thing about the Manusamas, they didn't just call me dead, period, see ya, good luck. They said, you're dead, but what are you doing at 115? Because there's going to be life at this thing called DMS. And I went and I got life. So I'm not just saying you're dead. I'm offering you what you're lacking at the same time, which makes it not as mean. <laughs> it's one thing to say you don't have it. It's another thing to say you don't have it. Here it is. It's two separate things. It's one thing to say you don't have it. It's another to say you don't have it, but here it is. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus called them all, all of them dead and then said, John 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 63, same chapter, verse 63. Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Again, he leaves no room for anything <laughs> It's nothing. It's no help at all. He's not even saying that it's a stepping stone. He says the flesh is of no help at all. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the flesh is basically your biological life, your biological existence, your, your, who you are as a person, your humanity. He goes, that is no help at all. The only thing that brings life is the spirit. The words, okay, th this is the cool thing about it. This is when he's, so he hits them with your flesh is no help at all. Next, ver next sentence, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So basically, don't freak out. Don't be anxious. Yeah, I just called you dead, but the words that are coming out of my mouth right now are the very spirit and life that you're missing. That's the beauty of Jesus. He'll call you dead, but then he'll say, but here's some life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus is introducing another factor that's even more of an essential factor than even the life that he's given you. He goes, okay, the problem is you're dead. The solution is the life that I'm giving you right now. But the reason why, even with that, that there is still a disconnect between the life that I'm speaking to you and your life actually starting is belief. Unbelief will actually block the life that Jesus is giving you even this very moment. So my question to you guys is the same question that Jesus asks is that do you believe? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that he is the source of life? Do you believe that the words that are coming out of my mouth are life because they come from him? Do you believe that the life that you are lacking is in Jesus? And this is how it works. Very practical. 
If you don't believe, no one's mad at you. The issue is, though, if you don't believe, then you will continue to look for the bread in your pantry and the water coming out of the fountain to do things that it was never designed to do. And that's why it's so sad. If you don't believe in Jesus, you will have no other option to de- than to depend on the bread that's in your house or the bread that you're going to get when church is out and we're almost done. Or, and you're going to depend on water and miss out on the true bread and the true water. You will continue to follow the logic that Satan gave Adam and Eve, and that is life with God is not a necessity. It's an honorable option. I'm not saying it's bad, but do you really need it to live? I don't have God, and I'm alive, serpent. I don't have God. Look at me. I'm talking, and I'm a snake. (laughs) I mean, you, the logic is real, guys. It happens to Christians all the time. We look at people who don't have Jesus, and we go, they look all right. They're making money. Their Instagram is awesome. They're popular. And then we start entertaining the idea, is it necessary? Is it necessary to love God with all my heart, all my mind? I mean, these guys don't even believe in Jesus, and they, they just went to Bermuda. That looks like life to me. And we start to entertain the idea that started with Adam and Eve with the serpent of this. It might be good to love God, but it's not a necessity. That's a bit much. I can tell you a whole phone worth of people who don't believe in Jesus that are living just fine. Guys, it's deceived our entire human race. Believing that there is life outside of Jesus is the biggest deception that you will ever fall for. Believing that there is bread outside of the true bread will be a sad, sad ending. Believing that there is water outside of true water, the living water, is going to be a very unfortunate discovery when all those things fail you. And the only thing that you realized that could keep you alive was life actually. And my prayer today is that those of you who are here that might not have that life actually would take the risk and trust that there is life other than what you're living right now. There is bread other than what you're eating right now. There is water other than what you're drinking right now. And I can say it all day. Jesus could say it all day, but even Jesus said, now we're, now we're, now we're at this new part where it's about belief. Jesus goes, I said it, but now the connecting point is you saying, I'm going to believe it. Like the song said, God can say it. God can talk to his blue in the face. But it's not until we believe that the connection happens, that the, act, the life is actually activated. 
However, if you do believe in Jesus, if you do say, okay, I believe you, I believe you, I'm open. There's a lot of power in being open. Jesus says all you need is a mustard seed. I'm not saying you got to be ready to pastor this church tomorrow because your faith is so strong. I'm saying are you open to the possibility that even though you've got a lot of things and functioning happening, that there's a chance that you might have never actually been alive this whole time? If you could be open to that, Jesus said that is enough to create all that I need. He says all you need is the smallest seed of faith that maybe there was, maybe there's life beyond what I'm living right now. If you believe this, you will find out that Jesus can do what a croissant could have never done. You will find out that Jesus can do what the bread you know could never do. He will satisfy a hunger that you forgot you had. He will take you back to that hunger you had when you were seven and eight years old. That hunger that you had when you were four and you couldn't even articulate it. He'll take you back to the most primal hunger that you have, the most primal thirst See, what happens is we learn how to live in brokenness so long that we forget that we're broken. Almost like if you're, if you're in a room that smells bad long enough, it doesn't smell bad anymore. That's essentially human life. We cope on top of coping, on top of coping, on top of surviving, on top of coping. And by the time we're 30, we forgot that we even wanted something else. It's become the norm. Dead life has become the norm for many of us in this room. And all I'm saying is be open that God can restore and satisfy a hunger that you actually forgot existed. This is life actually. Jesus is life actually. And I know it's specific and I know it seems so I mean, it just seems so specific for a world this vast, for, for a population this large. Are you telling me that the only key for humans to have life is one name? That's a stumbling block for a lot of us. That just doesn't seem right. But guys, before it was billions of people, there were just two. It might be hard to understand that God is the only way now that we have so many, we've evolved as a, as a planet. But there was a time where there were just two people. And that's when life was lost. And God wants to restore back life that was stolen so many years ago when Adam and Eve foolishly and ignorantly and blindly took the bait of Satan. I want to end with one. I, I want to end with one more verse. Is that okay? Okay, because I think it's gonna. It's gonna. It's a. It's a great passage that happened after Jesus died that I think helps uh, really explain what's going on. So instead of talking about it, I'll just read it. Uh, verse uh, Mark twenty-seven. Mark twenty-seven. This is my last passage. 
verse 50 through 54. And this is a part, it's only in one of the Gospels, but I don't think that diminishes its truth. I'm not one of those people that says it's not true unless it's not for. It's in the Word. It's in Mark. And yes, it's only in Mark, but it's in Mark. Verse 50 to 54. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Yielded up his spirit. So this is what Jesus is on the cross. This is his last breath before he dies. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and from top to bottom, sorry, from top to bottom, and the earth shook. So there was an earthquake when Jesus died. There was an earthquake, and they said the rocks were split. This is what happened when Jesus breathed his last breath. Verse 52, the tombs also so the grave tombs were opened, and many bodies, not a few, not two, it says many. I don't know how many, but many is more than a few. Many bodies of the saints. So it's not just all bodies, kind of a grammar, bodies of the saints. So many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised Verse 53, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So it's not just a few that saw. Scripture says many people saw these people, these saints that were dead. And just so you guys know, saints are not just this exclusive bunch like Peter, Paul. It's, saints is anyone who believes in Jesus. I hate, and I get it, but... I want to use the word hate. I hate it when Christians say I'm no saint. You're basically saying I'm no Christian. Saint does not mean that you're perfect. It means that you have received the perfection of Jesus through grace and mercy. So retire that, guys. Retire that. That's not. Find another way to express your humility. Find another way to express your humility than saying I'm no saint. You're basically saying you're not redeemed. So think twice before you talk. Saints, bodies of the saints, the believers who have fallen asleep and coming out of the tombs after the res resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. So I read that to show you guys that life actually is more powerful than death itself. The life we know, the stuff that we call life, death actually has authority over it. The things that we call life when you die, it's like, well, death had the final say. The stuff that we call life, the, thing, the word that we use when we're saying life, we're talking about a life that is subjected and submitted to death. Life actually is not submitted to death. Life actually conquers death. And the reason why I use that passage is because we all know that Jesus conquered death. But some of us don't realize that saints conquer death. The Bible says that the saints, when Jesus died from the, on the cross, he gave his life. 
And that life actually that was in the saints, the life actually they received. Remember he says, until you believe in me and feed on me, you don't have life. We've got people that were in the grave that had fed on Jesus. They had life actually. And Jesus, by his grace, allowed for many of them to actually rise with Jesus. Jesus wasn't the only person that rose from the dead on the third day. There were many saints that rose from the dead. Now, granted, they died later. They might have had a few extra years, maybe a couple of, a couple extra decades to see their grandkids. They died. Jesus is the only one that still lived. But I'm trying to let you guys know that when a saint has life actually, it will conquer death. There are saints who are in the grave currently right now that time will tell that they were only sleeping. Because they were wise and took heed when they heard that there was a thing called life actually. And they said, okay, I'm going to receive that. I'm going to feed on what Jesus is saying is life. So when I die, I will still live. Now, I want you guys to know that passage exists because I think it's powerful to know that when Jesus got up, he, 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 he took us up with him. The song they sang, they said, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Jesus is not the only person that's raising from the dead. He's raising all of the saints up with him. But if, you're a, if, you, if you want to be a saint, you got to choose Jesus. you got to feed on Jesus. you got to drink from the well of Jesus. When the centurion saw this, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. It's a statement of faith. So now that we've shared the gospel, we've shared about life actually, we've given the accounts that saints who, lead, who believe in Jesus conquered death as well. I'm giving you all an opportunity to do what the centurion did and speak words of belief. So if you would, could you stand? I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for the news, the difficult news, but the true news nonetheless, that unless we feed on you, unless we receive you, according to your word, we have no life. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how many accomplishments we've made. It doesn't matter if there's blood running through our veins. It doesn't matter if our five, our five senses are working perfectly. According to your word, unless we have you, we have no life. Lord, you're not surprised that this is difficult news. It was difficult news when you shared it with the disciples. And it's difficult news to hear today. Lord, but I pray that we would step past the offense, step past the questioning of what, 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 all, what was all this life? I'm 35 years old. What was, what, was all this, what was all this then? Lord, there's so many questions. But Lord, in this moment, I pray that we would choose to pay attention to your words and receive them as truth. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what you are saying we would have a heart to receive what you are saying. And Lord, as I lead this prayer 
and people repeat after me, I pray, Lord, that you would count it, Lord, as their declaration of faith, their words of belief. Like the centurion, when he said, truly, this is the Son of God. Lord, give people that opportunity today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you want to receive Jesus, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, that's what saves you. It's wonderful. So I'm going to lead us through a, 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 a statement of faith, a statement of belief saying, okay, I've heard it, and I'm choosing to believe it. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the ins and outs. I'm not an expert in this yet, but I choose to step out with that mustard seed of faith and say, I believe what Jesus said. So repeat this, these, these words after me. Say, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate mercy. Let's celebrate life actually. Let's celebrate actually having life.